Welcome back to the Brothers Book Club Podcast. We hope you've missed us, which is my pun-based segue into this week's episode. We're back. We're here with another review of a Penguin classic, Little Black Classic. Ryan's on the other end. Hey, Ryan. Hello, hello, and uh, what a pun it was. That was a good one. Did I did not miss that opportunity, right? <laughs> coming in, coming in again. Hot. Yeah, it's, that's it's right on right on the money. Of all verbs to just throw puns out wildly with, I mean, miss is pretty easy, all told. I'm not going to clap, you know, pat myself on the back too much for those. The book we're here reviewing, the poetry collection, to be specific, is called Woman Much Missed by Thomas Hardy. Yep. Now everyone's, now everyone gets it. It's, uh, yeah, now we're all on the same page. Aren't puns more fun when they're for everyone? I think that <laughs> sentence that I just said. Those lines is a result of reading two st- consecutive weeks of poetry. I feel well if that if that wasn't if that wasn't done intentionally, then I don't. It seems like that you could have found that on like one of your like ca- classroom posters or something. Oh goodness, that, no! Was, I didn't that, have that a part of your, that tactic? <laughs> was that a, was that a part of your? Uh, is that a part of your? Uh, like the classroom. Like decorations, no, I, I know you. I scoured, yeah, I scoured the internet hard for p- posters and decorations that were not a hundred percent tacky or didn't terrible. have a really egregious font colors and combinations that were just that just shout at you. I feel like that was a lot of classroom decorations were just loud. I had a couple understated posters of quotes. I know I had a Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. like pair mm. that I always put yeah. next to each other. Nice. I actually no, I remember this now because I in the in between both of them I always put a poster that said "Great readers make great leaders," and I think I kept mm. those. They're probably in storage. Yeah, you well, you got to dig them out. Sounds like a. I remember you always had some pretty clever ones. I think there was a time when I think it was either me and mom or just mom. We went and visited some classrooms, like some. This is probably six years ago, five or six years ago, but you had some good ones. Yeah, there were a few others in there that I collected over the years. There was the Shakespeare insults one. That's the only one I've kept and have hung up in my own living space. I don't think <laughs> I'd hang up the other ones. I mean, uh, the Malcolm X and, and Dr. King ones have seen some like wear and tear on them. They're laminated, but they're like a little crinkled. But the Shakespeare mm-hmm. one I framed because it's like a visual map of Shakespeare insults from all of his plays. And that one is just pretty funny. And also it's kind of, I don't know, like it looks nice. It's well-designed. Yeah. It's your, some of your finest work. Perhaps. And that just cost me money. I didn't even have to put in any effort for that. I just had to go to the internet and, and pay up, you know, I think yeah. some of the best yeah. teaching is done when you put in no effort and you just pay a lot of money. So that's mm. my theory. I, I bet. Yeah. I bet some teachers would agree with that. Let's uh, transition out of my TED Talk on teaching and into some more <laughs> rhyming. Just really unnecessary, really flagrant rhyming. Uh, yep. Thomas Hardy, Woman Much Missed. Uh, there's probably 15 or so, 20 or so poems in here, maybe more. Um, it's a collection 
from just 19, I think it's 16 and 17, when his first wife, I think, passed away and he was a widower. And so the poems were basically all inspired or mostly inspired by his wife's passing. Uh, what did you make of the collection? What's your quick review on this one? Quick review. It was tough for me. I mean, back to back weeks. I know last week you were talking about how <laughs> all this poetry is starting to weigh heavily. And I think this one kind of gets, it kind of gets the, um, like the rough end of the deal because it's like, it just kind of pile, it just kind of continued over for me from last week. And it just seemed like, I, I don't think I was in the right mood, but I said, um, like personally, I don't know. I'm just discovering that like this type of, uh, this type of work isn't like my personal favorite. There's some really nice stuff. Like I've got a couple, like a handful of poems that I really enjoyed. And then there are some pieces with that, like some parts in um, some of these that kind of make you like read it over and again. And you're just like, wow, that's really good. But I don't know. I just found this to be kind of, uh, kind of dull. It was, I just want to correct this before I, it bothers me too much. It was from 1912 to 1913. That was the mm. collection. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, the two weeks consecutive of poetry has not, is not what I would would have preferred. I prefer to take right. my poems in very small, isolated bursts in my own life. That's how I enjoy reading them. I feel like the mm. this, yeah, is, this is maybe the most on-brand comment we've made for this podcast. This is our target demographic. But I think The New Yorker does it pretty well because The New Yorker has these really long nonfiction pieces and they'll throw some fiction in. They do like one per... per um, I was about to say episode, one per issue, but then they'll throw poems. They throw about five poems in an issue and you know, it's every 10 or so pages you'll get one and it's just the right amount. You know, it's just a, a nice little thoughtful interlude before you continue on with a pretty dense nonfiction read. Anyway, that's not my review of this collection. I thought that this one on its own, if I wasn't suffering from Keats hangover, right. was actually weirdly understated considering mm -hmm. it was uh, exclusively about his now deceased or then deceased wife. Yeah. And it was almost like weirdly withholding. I, you didn't. Yeah. He kind of, he like panders a lot. I think that's like one of the things that I jotted down where it's like, man, it's, it's so, it seems like kind of indirect. I don't know if that's the right word, but it just, it's just kind of like, just kind of beating around the bush. Like it's, it's loosely, well, actually it's not loosely themed. It's very like, he's talking about one specific person and it's like, in that sense, it's very, it is very specific, but it's like, uh, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel very like direct or, uh, like concise. Well, it, I got the sense of a, from these lines, of a loss that was now with distance rather than like, it, it's doubtful to me, but gosh, I don't know anything about this person. I didn't even Wikipedia him this week. Um, and I, I think I'd only encountered him like half a second before in some class whenever. Um, but it struck me as like, these w are the poems you'd write a few years after. This wouldn't be the poem you'd go home you know, you're going home from the wake or the funeral or whatever, and you're just like, you just need to put something down that's raw or whatever. I don't know. I mean, everyone yeah. grieves differently, of course, but something about it felt a little limp, I suppose. Uh, granted, mm. that wasn't all of them, and we'll get into that in a minute with quotes. But overall, <laughs> right. I left wondering 
like, oh, or I left feeling knowing going in that it was about this woman uh, who who had died. I got we got to stop saying the word deceased and died. I don't know. I keep. I guess we just have to keep saying it. It's so <laughs> odd to say it this many times in like five minutes. Anyway, it, well, I just left it feeling. I don't know. Under, um, I felt I wanted to be more under assault with sorrow, and it was a little more right. quieter. Right. Yeah. the uh, The description on the back of the uh, collection says moving el elegiac. El- 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 what is, I don't know. A verse set in rural landscapes, penned by the grief-stricken Hardy after his wife's death. I don't. I think after reading this, and I was reading your comments, I don't even know if like you. He doesn't even say his wife's name. Like you don't even know who this person is. He just kind of like waxes on about like places they used to go and things they used to do. But it's not very. No, it's not very like direct, and it's a lot of it isn't super grief stricken i guess it's it's you know it's it didn't seem it didn't seem that right really to me Ele- well, elegant moving sure yeah elegiac by the way you nailed it um elegiac yeah yeah uh <laughs> i think that's a perfect segue though to th- start throwing out some quotes and discussing some of the things we kind of found stirring or interesting or bad right yes the- some of the sense of loss in the collection is that numb, kind of vague, hazy sense. There was a quote I thought yes. was really sensitive and really pretty delicate, pretty nice. Uh, on page eight, I forget the poem, but he goes out for a walk uh, that he would normally do with his wife, and she's not with him anymore, so he does it alone. Right, and then when yeah, he gets called, back, it's, it, yeah, it's called the walk. Yeah, there. Yeah, see, nice and vague. Yep. Um, yeah, like says, <laughs> right. Yeah, he concludes by saying, "What difference then?" When he returns, only that underlying sense of the look of a room on returning home, which is a nice, quiet way of just saying this does not. Nothing looks right. You know, it's probably everything's in the place it was in before, but there is mm. just the, the look is wrong now. There's an appearance that is missing, and you know, I don't. Not me, not me, but me, him. I don't know how to articulate it, it seems. That's kind of what the narrator's implying there. There's just a look that feels wrong. Mm. Yeah, like the uh, the house or the room, yeah, it doesn't feel the same. And it is like little bits and pieces like that where if you're not... If you're not reading it out loud, I think that's something that you mentioned, not last week, but maybe even a couple weeks before, but I've had to... I found myself trying to do that more with these like little poetry collections where if you just gloss over, it's really easy to just gloss over. And just, if you're just trying to make your way through some of these, those are the little bits and pieces that you, you know, might go unnoticed, but um, there are, there are parts, there are quotes in here that I thought, you know, were really, really nicely done. I think delicate is, is the right word kind of sensitive. Um, but just, yeah, just nicely done. Did you find any or pull any that stood out to you? Any of them you want to read? <laughs> yeah, the first one I pulled, let's see, it's on page 48. And uh, I, I thought this was nice. It says, this after sunset is a site for seeing cliff heads of craggy clouds surrounding it and dwell you in that glory show. You may, for there are strange, strange things in being stranger than I know. I think that's really nice. And then he goes on to say, yet if that chasm of splendor claim your presence, which glows between the ash cloud and the dun, how changed must be your mortal mold. Changed a firmament 
writing earthless essence from from what you were of old. I don't know. I thought that was just kind of nice, like a nice visual kind of like him standing, looking at a sunset and asking, you know, is that you now wondering about like if his, you know, if this person is still there? I don't know. That was a nice image for me. It's a shame that it took her passing for him to realize that her her post-life manifestation would be all the sunbeams and the rays of, of light. But I think that's how you know right. you're truly in love when when that person is gone, or I guess maybe you just broke up or something. If every, you know, if every sunset is their, the person's essence manifesting, you know, at right. least you had it good while it lasted. Yeah, and I I like the name of this uh, this poem specifically. It's called "He Prefers Her Earthly." <laughs> it's like, man, oh, yeah, that's all good, but he would he would much yeah. rather have her, you know, as a human being standing right that, next to him. Is that the subtitle of a documentary about Woodstock? Because it should be. <laughs> he prefers her earthly. I, it, I'm just pitching ideas out here, just tossing them out there into the void of the, into the internet's void, just to see if anything it's, comes back. I did, I did. Speaking of Woodstock, I, Woodstock '50, I guess, is like a complete debacle, almost like a fire festival thing. So, if they need any any real help with their, you know, their marketing or anything, now's the time to get in touch. Travis has ideas. It, it may be in, indirectly influenced by Thomas Hardy, but I feel like we could pitch that. Yeah, I'd rather go back to the more wholesome Woodstocks, the ones that don't have the footage of Fred Durst like screaming at people. But I think that's part ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, that's part of the charm of <laughs> yeah. the bygone times is that we didn't record them nearly as meticulously, and I think that's actually going to hold up well over time as we march forward into the twenty uh, first century deeper. Right. Um, yeah, a lot yeah. of the nineties didn't make it to uh, to the internet, which it's some of it for good. Yeah, thank God. Um, let's toss out some more quotes because I, I pulled a bunch. I agree with you that it. I think I had an overall more positive impression of the of the whole thing, but I certainly thought a lot of the lines had potency. Um, this one I thought was probably the most devastating, not because the lines read that way, but because of the implication. Uh, the lines from page seventeen are. Tell him a faithful one, and him, sorry, I should set this up. The poem is from the perspective of his deceased wife, loved one, who's sort of watching him, which already in its premise is like, oh man, you're writing a poem believing the narrator to be, it's already a little depressing. And then this is the the concluding line. Um, Tell him a faithful one is doing all that love can do, still that his path may be worth pursuing and to bring peace thereto. Essentially, she's hoping that he decides to live and not die also, or like, you know, who knows what that implies, something grim. Yeah, his path is worth pursuing. Yeah, so just to unpack this, we have a widower... (laughs) who is writing poetry in the voice of his now deceased wife, who's telling him not to commit suicide, basically, or or just to continue on or to to continue trying in life or, you know, uh, engaging in in life. That is pretty grim stuff for, you know, the time. Yeah, no. (laughs) And the, the name of that poem is called The Haunter. And like thinking about where he must have been, like what his mind state or where he was mentally, you know, like deciding to really go in. Cause this is one of the longer poems in the, in the collection. 
yeah, that's that's pretty. That's really grim. That's a pretty. He was. He must have been in a pretty dark spot. I think so. I think so. Did you find any quotes that were especially haunting or depressing? Uh, you know, for for this being like a collection about this guy's, you know, his wife who's gone. I didn't. I didn't really find it to be like obviously that one. It was that's pretty grim. But like some of, I don't know, like some of these, it didn't really read to me as like, like, woe for me. Like, I, this is like the worst. Like, he was able to articulate some really nice, like, bits and pieces that I thought. Uh, one from page 18, and I think this is where they get the um, the title from. It goes, uh, woman much missed how you call to me, call to me, saying that you now are not as you were. When you had changed from the one who was all to me, but as at first, when our day was fair, can it be you that I hear, let me view you then, standing as when I drew near to the town, where you would wait for me, yes, as I knew you then, even to the original air blue gown. Like, I thought that was, uh, I thought that was nice too. Just not like, not so, not so grim, like remembering like certain details about her, but also kind of like, like hearing her, like, you know, again, it's kind of like the cloud thing, but like hearing her voice, like in passing, like, I don't know. I thought that was, I thought well, that was a nice part. It's certainly the cliche we're all told and taught, which is that when someone passes, you know, remember the good times, remember the positive memories you have of them, remember the impact, which I, you know, I don't want to call that cliche because it's perhaps one of the only valid responses that somebody can have when you lose someone who's close to you. But yeah, I, I think there's a balance and I, that line I think strikes me as a bit more, not optimistic, but it's uh, more realistic, I suppose, maybe more uh, sober, a more sober perspective, um, which yeah, I think is not even isolated. There's, there's a bit more of that in the collection too. And it, and it is kind of, it does kind of follow up what you were just talking about where he's writing about his late wife from like her perspective, addressing him, like how you called to me saying that, saying that now you are not as you were, like, it's almost like him justifying her being gone, like through, through her voice, which is, it's a, it, I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting perspective to, to try and write from. Yeah. Yeah. No, I certainly agree. I did pull, I have two more. I do want to at least fire one off before we move on that I thought was actually the most explicitly grim or just um, depressing. I, the The other one, the other line I pulled, I thought was more, it was more the construction of it. This is just the way it's worded. It's more explicit in these lines. Um, he's at the gravestone or he's thinking about um, his wife's gravestone. And I think this is the darkest stuff for me anyway. He says, nothing more. The still marble date graven gives all that it can tersely lined that one has at length found the haven, which every other will find with silence on what shown behind, which I think to me hits a couple things that I always want in a poem. And this kind of jumps ahead to my review, I suppose. It's got a very terse ending, which in poets or in poetry, I always love. I don't want to mm-hmm. I don't want to have to overthink the last couple of lines. I want it to be a very sharp ending. I guess even you said the word terse yep. right in the poem. I didn't even notice that. Um, that's funny. Uh, and so and then it has just a, an image or two that gets expanded upon, and that's the the marble and the 
the fact that it's just lined with dates and yeah, it has a nice symmetry to it. Those lines, it's, um, not overly rhymy, which was, I think last week with Keats, probably the thing that was driving me the most mad by the end of it. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, I just think that the, the, that last line with silence on what's shown behind uh, is a, such a nice mixture of sensory information and, um, is pretty alarming and, I, you know, it's a depressing sight, a gravestone. It's uh, right. a pale imitation of a person's life. It's just a rock. Yeah, right. So that's, yeah, I think no, that I, was probably his, his most, you know, he was, to use baseball metaphors, that was his fastest fastball, so to speak. Right, yeah, and I, I keep going back to like, I think he titles these really well. That's called, I mean, well, but also, again, kind of vague, but I think it works. That poem's, titled the marble tablet like (laughs) i think that's i mean that's pretty direct i think that's pretty uh that's that's pretty nice and i did there was one poem Mm -hmm. that i uh that i really liked that was on page 46 and it's called the second a second attempt and i'm not going to read the whole thing it's about a page but again it was ended really really nicely and i think that kind of credits like I, his style, I guess, like the style that he was able to write a lot of these in, it, it varied a lot to me. And I think that was something that I appreciated the most. It wasn't so like we were talking about last week. So nursery rhymey. Yeah, that's but, a um, difficult style thing to overcome. Wait a second, though. Yeah. I also wrote down that we should talk about this. What do you think this poem is about? I, th- I wonder if you and I had profoundly different readings of this poem. What did you what do you think this okay. poem is about? I starred this and I actually, um, I was looking at it and I think it was like basically looking back on like their time together when it was like when they were first, like first courting each other and then when like how their relationship evolved and then basically at the end, it's like, that's just how it is. You can't go back and like, there are no second chances, but as it, he ends it as saying, as at the former times, there was life pale and horror and slow it's said to me twice over cannot be it's like cherishing what you had even though there were good times and bad times like you want to have a second chance at it but that's never going to happen here we go i'm about to this might be the death of the podcast that my interpretation of this because you're i'm gonna hit you (laughs) with some real real englishy kind of english major bullshit this is what my degree is (laughs) for right now the death of the podcast. Oh my god! I, if listeners stop listening after this, then so be it. But I have to say, I thought this was about him trying to masturbate once after her death. <laughs> but can I give you my? Can I run through? Can I run my analysis down? I've, uh, yes, we're gonna read yeah, this. Dude. We're gonna end up reading this whole fucking poem. I bet. But you, this just uh, needs to be. Well, we, well, we have to now. I, okay. All right. First, first stanza. 30 years after I began again an old time passion. Let's just pause there. He hasn't masturbated in 30 okay. years, of course. I mean, they were, if they all were right, for all that right. long. Okay. Anyway. All right. Fair, fair enough. Okay. And it's so se- far so good. And it seemed as fresh as when the first day ventured on, when mutely I would waft her in love's past fashion, dreams much dwelt upon, dreams I wish she knew. That to Fuck. me, when yeah. mutely I would waft her. In love's past fashion, uh, ta- that's all. That's postcoital to me. I, that's you can't interpret that any other way in my mind. When else would you love? Would you waft love's past fashion? Fuck. All right. So far, so good. Let's keep going. Stanza two. I went the course <laughs> through 
which like I I did the thing in my mind. Yes, I the course yes. through from love's fresh found sensation. Hey, I wonder what he found fresh. Remembered uh, still so right. well. Ah, I wonder what he could be remembering so well. What sensation that could right. be to, yeah, okay. to worn words charged anew. Now that is complicated. I think maybe maybe he's yeah. like met a lover for the first time. That was like well maybe he's <laughs> like I don't know that okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, all right, this is, to me, yes, that is kind of, like, going through the paces of, like, maybe, like, flirting with somebody for the first time or, like, courting someone or, like, using words that you used to say to your wife, but now you're trying, like, yeah. now you're trying yeah. and with a new person. Okay, all right, yeah. keep going. That left no more to tell. And then he says, thence to hot hopes and fears, hot hopes, hello, and thence to consummation, which I don't think the word consummation can be used in almost any other context, even metaphorically. And thence to sober years, markless and mellow hued. Clearly, however he is now consummating is just, it is a hazy, uninteresting version of what he had. And I guess uh, maybe it's not masturbation. Maybe he did find a new love or a new, you know. <laughs> okay. But, I mean, I get where you're coming from. The argument is strong, but we're almost to the end. So yeah. let's keep going. Firm the whole fabric stood or seemed to stand and sound as it had stood before, but nothing backward mm-hmm. climbs. Now, if you really want to get, you know, really kind of offensively reaching here, I mean, fabric standing up. I mean, what would make fabric stand up? As it had stood oh, before. Man. It, it sta- <laughs> God it, damn it. What, what could be causing <laughs> a fabric on a person to move or to stand? And then it says, but nothing backward climbs. What could that mean? That means that the, the, the lust, the love, the just vigor of his manlyhood is not what it once was. <laughs> it's just can't, he can't go, it, it's retreating. Oh. <laughs> And then, all right said Fair. and when i look around as at the former times there was life pale and whore and slow came to me twice over cannot be um i don't know I, Man, it, that's I, a, it's a strong it's a strong argument i think it i think you it starts off like spot i think you hit the nail on the head for like the first two stanzas or the first two parts 100 maybe 100 percent. but it has to be <laughs> It has to be with like with a new person or a new relationship. I thought it was just the most. I thought the closest he got to being sexual, either through innuendo or just literally in the entire thing. I, maybe I was just reaching for yeah. it though, because I it just seemed like a topic that would come up, and it just didn't. But I, I think I think I think by page forty six, like yes, you are kind of reaching for something. Like I didn't pick up on that, but I I love that. That's where you went with it because I don't know by 40 by page 46 I was definitely looking for something to kind of like liven this thing up and if that if that would have been the case which you know it's arguable I think I I will look at that <laughs> I might have to unstar it now oh, I, I start I started I, I marked I marked that page now I'm gonna have to I don't know might have to unmark it rip it out and frame it now brother Seek, <laughs> seek, and you shall find. That's all I have to say. All right, you yeah. know, keep it, keep an open eye and an open mind. Oh man, yeah, wow, unreal. I, I, well, now I, I can see it. I can totally see it. I think we'll leave that to I the wish scholars. Harding was that cool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's up to you now. 
I, I I wish Hardy was that was that cool. I don't think that's where <laughs> I don't think that's where it was going. I don't think it takes a cool person to write a nice poem about having good or bad sex. But I this collection just doesn't seem much concerned with that part of his life. Which fair enough. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. It doesn't seem like the right place. I don't know. He was a prolific writer. Maybe in some of his other stuff, there might be you know there might be some more topical poetry or writing or what have you but we'll yeah we'll leave the exegesis to the scholars that was probably as close as we'll ever get to this podcast you and i will have to try and maybe rifle off a book club episode when we dive way more deeply into books i didn't i didn't mean to read that much but eh, it's fun that was (laughs) a worthwhile attempt to understand and if and to go back, if that is the end of this podcast, then so be it. I'll I'll die on that hill. I think that I'll, I'll rest. I'll rest on the laurels. Well, we do have to get to final reviews, though. Let's do a quick drive-by at the author-to-author section, just to throw any more shade you want at Keats. Anything to say how this compares or connects to the Keats we read last week? Yep. So I was thinking this, like the subject matter for both. I would like to see them switched, like basically what you just described for that poem, a second attempt, I kind of wish you, we could get a hearty version of like sneaking in and trying to like woo a princess or like, you know, I'd like to see his take on something like that stylistically. And then I would also like to see Keats like kind of like, you know, stop beating around the bush, like to know what real love, true love is and to be devastated by a loss. I would like to see Keats kind of like drop all of the fancy stuff and drop all of the, you know, hyper descriptive fanciness and just like get straight to like the bone chilling point. I think that would have interested me more than what we got, but you know, that's my take. I'm definitely into a style swap on this one. That would, I think I agree. I'd be fascinating. Keats never gave a true sense of melancholy is what I wrote down here, but there was some stuff in Lamia or Lamia, the the poem. I think I, the style yeah. just really drowned me out or drowned out the message and the tone of it. I, I know there were lines in there that were a little, you know, had a, a type of sorrow to them uh, and type of like loss, but yeah, I think I was just too absorbed in it. Look, if I know you in real life and you're listening to this show and you ever need to talk to me about something that's bothering you or making you feel down, just don't rhyme when you tell me. Don't deliver it in couplets and I will actually listen to you. I think that's that's really all I have to say on the matter. If you're more interested in that, you should that's, listen to last week's episode. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, just the way it was delivered... Uh, yeah, I don't even, I mean, that would probably make Hardy a little bit more unbearable, but you know, you never, you never know. That's completely hypothetical. I have to challenge you. You said that Keats never really said anything or taught you anything about love. Is that not what the 30 stanza Eve of St. Agnes poem taught you, Ryan? I feel (laughs) like I understand love way better than I did before I read Keats. I mean, not like, yes, love that's true but more more on like loss i guess that's what i'm i guess that's what i'm trying to get at but again i think it just comes down to style i'm not saying what keats was was writing about was 
less meaningful or impactful, I think, in just like the way it was delivered. What I liked about Hardy is he actually, he took like a style of writing. He never really wrote the same style twice. Like I would have to go back and check myself and be like, what's he rhyming here? Okay, maybe it's the first and last sentence of this paragraph and he's rhyming every line in between or every other. It's not like, it wasn't so nursery rhyme well, like we were talking about last week with Keats. You know Keats has got in your head when I was just joking anyway, but that's fair. I think I, you yeah, know, no, he fucked me you, up. you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to defend uh, your attack of Keats. Not in this house, not in this household. You don't, not in this podcast. <laughs> not after a, not after consecutive back to back ones. Yeah. So anyways, you know, that's jumping right into the ratings for me. I feel like this came at an inopportune time. If this, if I would have read Thomas Hardy, if I would have read this collection in between, two other different styles or like if it wasn't back-to-back poetry collections that were kind of in the same vein like that romantic era i think i would have scored it higher but just for me i don't know and i feel bad lumping them into the same category with ones but i don't know this one this one's a one for me it's uh i think i don't like to say it but i'm saying it bizarrely i have the same rationale different result i think Compared to last week, this one had me riding high. Gave me a little bit of an injection it of is, hope in terms yeah, of reading poetry. It is, uh, it is, it is better. It, I will say that it is, it is better in my mind. But it, I don't know if it's bet. It, I don't know if it's good enough. I think it's a two for me. I, a solid qualified recommendation, which is that's how our rating system works. Two means maybe read it one hard pass, three definitely. For me, a two just because. It does the couple of things I need a poem to do. It's got some memorable images that mm-hmm. really will strike you. It has those terse endings yep. that just are very sharp and will make you think, oh, you know, that little uh, little hesitation breath you get when you're like, oh, just, you know, a little struck by something. And that's really all I'm looking for. I don't think all of them were that way. And there were enough dull kind of moments in there for me to say, if you're going to pick up a collection of his poetry, I don't know, maybe have some patience or know what to expect stylistically none of the poems mm-hmm. were that long it had that going for there was no 20 page epic that it, like the keats yeah that is true i did i did appreciate that well i'm i now i'm slowly starting to regret it to regret it but i don't know i gotta stick with the one i think that's fine yeah <laughs> but I, I, we're not here to be a consensus I, yeah, I get podcast where, i get i get where you're coming from i get i i can uh, i can sympathize with the two yeah i think it's to me a, a great qualified recommendation you know if you're yearning for some poetry and the thought of reading about someone's deceased wife doesn't bother you all that much seek out the 1912 to 1913 stuff but he has in the front of the book it lists like a hundred things that they publish from him so you can find all kinds of Thomas yeah, Hardy. He's a really, yeah he's a prolific writer and i mean you got to be in a mood that's that's one of the things that i was thinking about after I finished it, it's like, eh, sometimes, sometimes when I was reading it, I was really into it and I thought it was visually really nice. Other times I was like, man, this is boring. This is shit. That's what big mood means on the internet. It means read poetry. I never thought about it that way. It's gotta be, yeah. Thomas Hardy, big mood. Fuck, Woman man. much missed. That's, that's a if major I was still mood. In the classroom, I could use that meme as like an introduction to poetry. It's the poetry is the original big that's, mood. And it all comes back to that classroom poster forget the puns man it's it's big mood 
Thomas Hardy. Yeah. Woman must mi- much miss. Big Th- mood. That's the mood. That's the meme and the mood. Um, next week, uh, we've got Guy de... Oh, Jesus. He's French. Guy de Maupassant. Maupassant. Uh, which is just, bu- I just butchered that. Oh Lord, get me out of here. Um, anyway, he wrote a short story collection called Femme Fatale, which is, uh, according to the back cover, four sparkling 19th century tales of Parisian high society and rural life from the father of the modern short story. This one, spoilers, I've kind of read ahead, um, has been pretty enjoyable. So we hope you join us for that one. Uh, Ryan, why don't you go ahead and take us out? All right, man. Well, on that note, we will see you between the classics. 